0: who has the best beard in the church is going to read for us from John 6, 21 through 71.
1: I am the bread of life. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had entered the bread after, I'm sorry, where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to, do, to be doing the, good, the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what signs do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. From the bread, of, from the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us, the bread, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet not and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because, he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him, give for the life of the word. world, is my flesh. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because the Father, Whoever, who, the Father. so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. The words of eternal life. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is not help, no help at all the words that i have spoken to you are spirit and life but there are some of you who do not believe for jesus knew the beginning of the beginning knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him and he said this is why i told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father after this many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the word of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he is the one of the twelve that was going to betray him.
0: Thank you, brother. We may have been keeping that voice tucked away for a long passage. <laughs> Thank you, Cody. Uh, Don Cornelius, Kurt Cobain, Bob Welsh, Ernest Hemingway, Robin Williams, Jovan Bletcher, Lucy Gordon, Chester. Bennington. What do all these names have in common? Suicide. Yes, they were famous. Yes, they had success. But they found that even their kind of life isn't a life worth living. Each of these individuals reached the pinnacle of what the world has to offer. Success, money, copious opportunities for sex with whomever they wanted, fame, notoriety, the ability to travel anywhere you want, whenever you want, any possession that money could buy. They had reached the top, but the view from the top was unsatisfying. So each of them ended their own lives. Each had a need that the world could not meet. Each attained the prescription that the world would tell us, this is what makes for a good life. And yet that prescription did not meet the underlying need. Hopefully no one in the room this morning is on the verge of suicide. But we've all met the sting of unmet desires. And even more than that, we all have had desires get met, only to find that they don't really satisfy. So are you aware this morning that you have needs that seem to have no workable solution? Wherever you look, whatever you try to attain, even if you get it, it will not satisfy. Our text today warns against striving for solutions that cannot meet spiritual longings. And it instructs us to look upon Jesus for unending satisfaction. Now, remember the setting as we jump into our passage for today. A couple of weeks ago, we saw Jesus teaching a large crowd. They had gathered away from their own towns. It was spontaneous They'd come without food, and Jesus took that opportunity to break bread, to provide a sign of who he was, and miraculously fed thousands and thousands of people. And then that same crowd tried to take Jesus to be their political king, and so Jesus sent his disciples away on a boat, and then he went off by himself to pray. Later, he walked on water in order to go out and meet Jesus. Uh, J- Jesus went on water out to meet the disciples. I was just thinking in my head this week, and a song hopefully none of you have heard, called by Eminem, just came out, and it uses the phrase, I'm walking on water, but I am no Jesus. That's why my head was confused. Jesus went out to these disciples in order to show them, "Uh, me as a mere political king won't do. I'm God. And so he used a miraculous means to show them who he is. And then the next day is this account. So we've stretched this out over three weeks, but it was all within a period of about 12 hours when all of these things happened. Now look at verse 25 again, and let's consider why this took place. When they, this is the crowd, when the crowd found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus had not had his morning coffee. At this point. He comes right out of the gate and confronts them. This is not gentle. This is a a verbal assault, if you will. Jesus calls them out on their motive. Friends, did you know that Jesus knows your motives? There is no fooling God. We might be able to fool each other with spiritual-looking things and spiritual-sounding things. But Jesus, make no mistake, can understand the disposition of our hearts. Jesus told the crowd that they didn't come to Him for spiritual reasons. They didn't come because they had accepted who He was and they wanted to learn more. They came because they wanted their temporary needs met again. This is Like the person who shows up at church when they need help with a bill, or a relationship is falling apart, or they've lost their job, but then as soon as that need is met, they're gone, vanished, never to be seen until another temporary need pops up. They were motivated by short-lived desires things like materialism and political gain. They wanted to use Jesus for what they craved. They weren't driven for a pure aim, a pure motive of just knowing God more, learning to treasure Jesus for who He is. The crowds had God right there in front of them, But God wasn't enough. They wanted the things that God could give. They were unaware of their depth of need. They thought their need was food in the tummy and Israel back in power. But those are so small those aren't needs that last. Friend, your greatest need is not for more friends at middle school. It's not to get a job that's better than the one you have. Your greatest need isn't for a spouse or a different spouse. It's not for kids or better kids. It's not to finish your degree or make more money or get out of debt or lose weight or move somewhere cooler not to be healed of your diseases or reconciled with a friend you've lost. Your greatest need is for God to give you eternal life. John 6 verse 27 says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. To the crowd that came, For physical food with a little bit of magic, Jesus essentially says, stop obsessingly focused upon things that won't last and instead labor for what will last forever. You see, Jesus understands that even if our physical needs are met, those are only temporary. These, These crowds, these people who had seen Jesus break bread and take fish and pass it out for hours. Guess what? They got hungry again. If you experience something miraculous, like a physical healing, guess what? You're still going to die. Jesus is saying, look beyond temporary needs to the eternal need. Now, all over the Bible and frankly, in our own personal experience. We know human beings are broken. We're busted up. The Bible's word for that is sin. You see, we're all born physically alive, but spiritually dead. And so our great need while we're physically alive is for God to make us spiritually alive. That is our greatest need, regardless of how pressing or a lack of pressing we might feel about the need for spiritual life. Now, the solution to this tremendous need is Jesus. Jesus is the one who can meet this need. The greatest need is to come to see Jesus for who He really is, to come to recognize Him and appreciate Him and accept Him as He is, not merely for what He can do for you. The key is to believe that Jesus is King and Lord and Savior. Our great need is to be given life, the life of Jesus Himself. Now, all of this is in this one beautiful passage, and it's all encapsulated in the image of bread. Look down at verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly, truly. This is the Bible's way of all caps in a text message. This is pay attention. This is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. They're still not understanding him. Jesus said to them, I am. Remember last week? He's walking on the water, sees the disciples. They're afraid. His response is, I am. Stop being afraid. That, I think, is sort of the T-ball the being set on the stand. And then in this statement, Jesus gives a predicate with the idea. He said, I am What? And the bread of life. These I am statements are part of the organizing principle of the book of John. There's seven of them. This is the first one. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In the ancient world, bread was the staple item on the menu. In fact, it was so critical that it was understood to be the very food that sustains life. Now, we think of bread as something we have to avoid or we'll get fat. But that's not how people in the ancient world thought about food. In Jesus' day, no bread meant no life. It meant starvation. It was the cheapest thing you could make. So, if you didn't have bread, then you didn't have any food at all. If you travel to poorer countries, particular countries in Central and South America, what you'll find is every meal is rice and beans, and sometimes beans and rice. That's what bread was to the Jews it was life itself, it's what you ate. Bread kept you physically alive. So Jesus takes all of that that would have been familiar to them and says, What you really need is the bread, not that will feed your body, but the bread that will feed your soul. And that bread, if you eat of it once, you will be forever full of life. What a picture! As the true bread from heaven, Jesus is the source and the substance of eternal life. Now, recognize it's early, but think about that. Jesus isn't simply the one through whom life comes, like a gift. He is that, but he's the substance itself. He is spiritual life. He is the bread of life. Verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Think about what he is saying. It's either true or this is the last person you ever ought to be listening to. There is no in-between. Either Jesus really can do what he says he can do, and that is take your strongest need and meet it by himself forever, forever quenching the desires, not by suppressing them, but by meeting them. Either that's true, or this guy's nuts. Now, We think about Jesus as we think about him, as the solution to our greatest need, and as we think about him as the bread of life, so that's the image, then the passage gets really, really, really weird. If this is one of those passages you read and you feel like, I got this. Nothing hard in there to understand at all. Uh, You're not actually reading it. Because Jesus told the crowds in verses 53 to 56 that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood or they won't have life. Now for those of you who are in the room who are Christians, This isn't near as weird to you as it would have been to them. See, we understand when we get together and take the Lord's Supper that we're remembering something. That's not what this text specifically is about. But that idea isn't completely foreign to us, but to them. What in the world is he talking about? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no eternal life in you. Now, is Jesus saying, I'm going to take a seat and you just nod my leg a bit? Is he saying, if you don't take a finger and chew on it and swallow me whole, then you can't go to heaven? On a cursory Non-metaphorical reading. That would seem to be exactly what he's saying. But we know that isn't what he meant. Because he's taking the illustration, the analogy, the metaphor of, of bread. And he's saying, just like your ancestors ate bread that God gave them and that sustained them physically. You've got to eat spiritual bread and God will sustain you. Spiritually. Spiritually. That bread is my death. That bread is that I will hang on a tree and die as a punishment for your sin. And unless you consume that, then you can't have eternal life. Friends, that's how our deepest spiritual needs are met, feasting on Jesus. The crowd had eaten physical bread, and they wanted more of that. But Jesus says, Jim, the true bread or the real bread you need is the spiritual sustenance that only comes from my death counting as your death. You see, Jesus is the source of life, and Jesus is the substance of life. Verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me, and I in him. To abide in Jesus is to remain with him, to see his life as your life, to see his death as your death. Now recognize that that seems like shocking language, but we talk this way. Have you ever heard a friend holding someone else's baby and saying, I could just eat him up? Have you ever heard somebody say about a book, that book is so good, I've just been consuming it. You ever heard somebody say of a movie, I couldn't get enough, I devoured it. What are those words? Those are all consumption words. Jesus is saying, you've got to consume me. Your life has to be gone. My life, has to be what you're taking in. It's a way of saying, this thing is so wonderful, it is life itself. If you want to be a Christian, you have to be a person who's at a point in life of being willing to say, everything else I have is like death. But Jesus is so wonderful, he is life itself. Not in a theoretical way, in a, He's giving you His spiritual life, literally. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's to be united to Jesus, infused with Him, woven together in an inseparable bond. It's to recognize you'll never, ever, ever be alone. Because God is with you. God's life becomes your life. The old adage, you are what you eat, turns out scientists are discovering there's some truth to that. But Jesus knew that long ago. You are spiritually what you eat. You can feast on sin. That's just like eating cotton candy. Might taste good for a little bit. It's going to rot your teeth, and it cannot sustain life. Or you can choose instead to feast on Christ, the one who is able and sufficient to meet every need. The only way for our deepest need to be solved is by God giving us Jesus' life. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the substance of life. But there's a major problem If this was all there was to the story, there wouldn't be anything troubling in it, really. But you may have caught something troubling, as Cody read. You you no doubt noticed the angst of the crowd, as Cody read through this text. They were things they didn't like about what Jesus said. They didn't like Jesus' claim to be the one who came down from heaven. That whole idea of God in the flesh was preposterous. These were literally the last people on the planet who would ever believe that God could become man. They didn't like that. They didn't like his claim to divinity. They didn't like his focus on their spiritual needs instead of physical They didn't like his confrontation of their sinfulness. They didn't like his demand that they take him, his substitutionary death, as their only hope. So they complained. They grumbled against him. Notice that in verse 41. It uses a very specific word. It uses the word grumbling or grumbled. This is a technical term that means to to mumble under your breath. And the word itself sounds like the sound you make when you mumble under your breath. As Jesus offered them the bread of life, their response was... That's what the word actually sounds like. They mumbled, they grumbled, they complained about how unreasonable... Jesus' claims were and how insane his expectations were. Here offered to them is the bread of life and all they can do. Now, these weren't the first Jews to grumble. In fact, they weren't the first Jews to grumble over bread. The history of the Old Testament is replete with people who grumbled. And there are specific places like Exodus 16.7 and Exodus 17.3 and Numbers 14.2 and Numbers 14.36 where there is grumbling and complaining about the bread offered by God. You see, the Jews, as they took their journey from Egypt to Israel, those 40 years of wandering around in the desert, the way they survived physically was every morning they'd wake up and God would have miraculously provided bread out on the ground. It was called manna. It was bread from heaven. But they got tired of eating it. And so they grumbled. Jesus takes that image. He grabs it back in Exodus. And he says to this crowd, that's what you're doing. You are rejecting my claims, which is rejecting God's provision for your spiritual life. You're just like your ancestors. Now, what was the problem with the ancestors? Well, it was the same problem with the crowd. And it's the same problem today it's unbelief. unbelief. In the desert, God provided manna and they complained. Again, God provided true bread and they complained. Most in Jesus' day refused to repent and believe. And this moment in the Gospel of John is the first moment that it's not the spiritual leaders, it's not the Pharisees, it's not the Sadducees, it's not those in power, who turned their back on Jesus, but it's the masses. It's the crowd. It's the average, normal, everyday person. But they all were turning away for the same reason. They didn't believe. Why do people today not receive the bread of life from Jesus? It is such a tremendously wonderful, undeserved offer. They don't believe because they don't want to believe. They, in fact, disbelieve. That happens to all of us. Apart from God, we're all trapped by unbelief. Now, so deep is this spiritual need. And so intense is our open defiance against God that Jesus, in fact, says that we are unable to unilaterally come to belief in God. A different way to say that is we are so blinded by sin and unbelief that we are incapable of arriving at belief on our own. God must first intervene, in order for belief to happen. Now, the majority of the crowds turned away from Jesus because they didn't want Jesus. But it's also true that they didn't want Jesus because they didn't believe. They didn't believe because they didn't want to believe. And they didn't want to believe because they couldn't. Sin is far, far, far worse than we typically see it as being. Sin has a blinding, crippling, deafening, heart hardening effect on everyone. And so, if you're here today and you're a Christian, if you have ever, a single time, been in a conversation with a non Christian, been sharing Christ with them and left that conversation thinking, if they were just as smart as me, if they just saw things as plainly as I see them. Friend, that is a spit wad in God's face. Christian, even your belief in God is ultimately a gift from God. We would never have chosen to follow Jesus if God had not first chosen us. To put it in the context of this text, it's as though Jesus is saying, the bread of life, it's got to be spoon-fed. That's what verse 44 says. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Crowds didn't like this. There's plenty today who don't like this. But this is the gospel. This is good news. There is a way out from your blindness, your deafness, your hard-heartedness, and it's not by being smarter than somebody else, and therefore you're good enough to have Christ. It's by God saying, in an act of sovereign grace, I will remove the blinders. And now you can see how great I am. And yes, you willingly, freely choose to respond. But God's got to take the blinders off. No one can do that. God must do it. In the face of all our claims to autonomy and individual freedom, and you have your truth and I have mine, Jesus says, I alone am the bread of life. The only way to eternal life is to believe in me, to eat me up. But we're not going to believe because we don't want to. The only way to want to is for God to act first. None of us would be saved if God didn't do that. We're not in control. We don't start with a blank slate. We don't judge spiritual things from a posture of neutrality. We are hopeless and helpless apart from Christ. Now, to all of that, let's consider two things in closing. Number one, these are hard truths. The Bible says so itself. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? No, duh. The, the crowds are leaving in masses, turning away from the bread of life. And the disciples' response is, I, I think I can understand why they're going. This is hard. This doesn't taste like sweet San Francisco sourdough. This this bread of life doesn't go down easy. Friend, if your reaction to this text, even as a believer, even as someone who's been a believer a really long time, even as someone who's, in many ways, a mature believer, if this is hard to receive, understand the disciples are right there with you. This is hard. It's okay that it's hard. But number two, these are wonderful truths. If these truths weren't true, we would all remain forever, happily, eating the slop of sin. As verse 66 says, and after this, many of His disciples turned back And no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, I think by now he's on his second cup. But he's still rather assertive with them. Maybe he switched over to espresso. He says, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter said, and I find this to be one of the most precious verses in the entire Bible. Experientially. Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Yes, Jesus says some hard things. But where else are you going to go? Jesus is the only substance and source of eternal life. And if everything he ever said was smooth and sweet on your palate... He wouldn't be God. Friend, the invitation or the response to this passage is extremely simple. Have you eaten the bread of life? If not, Jesus is holding that out to you. And if you're at a point of saying, I believe that message, then God has already intervened and he's ready for you to feast and there will be rejoicing in heaven and your heart filled up with every need met by feasting on Jesus. And friend, if you have already come to Christ, maybe in some ways you've lost your taste for him. Maybe you're chewing again on cotton candy. You've gone back to fair food. Which, by the way, why would you ever touch that stuff? (laughs) Brothers and sisters, yes, Jesus says some hard things. Yes, His expectations are very, 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 very high. But where else can you go? He has the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we just really got at the essence of this passage. There's much more here to discover. It's one of those speeches that you gave, one of those primary sources that we can spend the rest of our lives studying. But God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here and for this church in general that we would be people who by your grace have acquired the taste of Christ and that we would feast on you again and again and again through your word. Even the parts of your word that are hard. And Father, for those here who have not yet believed on Christ, God, would you intervene? We pray today salvation would come to this house. Jesus, you are the source and you are the substance. In Jesus' name. Amen.